You're listening to Out of Nowhere, a series featuring emergent brands with somewhat unexpected origins. Your host is Justin Watkins of Native Digital, a marketing firm specializing in brand messaging and performance media. Let's jump in. Why is it that plant switch is worth the effort? Why does it get all of your energy right now? Yeah, I think the first and most important reason is that we're doing something that makes a huge difference um, environmentally, obviously, also economically, um, you know, the amount of uh, economic damage that's caused by plastic pollution every year is really significant. Um, Environmentally, I think most people know that hopefully by now. Um, but one of the things that's really stuck out to me is some of the studies of how it's impacting things like fishing and coastal communities. Uh, and when that's happening, it's a problem that really needs to be solved. So, um, it's a bad use of resources. It's a bad way to use packaging. And, you know, we're trying to make something, uh, that works better and is better for both the environment and the economy. And so, um, it really hit home for me in pretty much every logical way. And I'm a pretty logical person. So uh, that's kind of where the original uh, passion for it came from. And then, you know, I've always been pretty entrepreneurial, um, just, you know, kind of got exposed to it. Uh, my mom ran a business when I was younger and I got to see firsthand uh, the trials and tribulations, but also the fun of doing that. And then uh, I think playing golf has a lot of parallels to entrepreneurship as well. You know, you're kind of your own company. Uh, you don't have a team necessarily to rely on. It's kind of just you figuring stuff out. And so um, I think a lot of the parallels from golf have transferred over to entrepreneurship. And uh, as soon as I kind of took the leap, I was like, I could never do anything else. So um, I don't think I'll ever be able to go back to a regular job, which is probably both good and bad. But yeah. yeah, you're ruined for this. From here on out, you're ruined. Uh, you've you've taken that one out of the option. Well, you you mentioned golf. Uh, let's go back and talk about the kind of uh, your co-founder as well as kind of those early days. Uh, what was the original uh, sort of I don't know insight or uh, what was the kind of the origins of the company? How has it developed to what Plant Switch looks like today? Yeah, so uh, you know, I had the privilege of starting a company with one of my best friends, which you know, that's just fun in and of itself. Um, so my co-founder, Maxime, uh, was my teammate on the SMU golf team. So I came in as a freshman. He was a senior. Um, we hit it off, you know, like to do all the same things. And, um, you know, he just kind of took me under his wing. So we had a really good relationship from that. Um, and then moving on a few years, he's playing professional golf and then he gets hurt. I get hurt around the same time. And, you know, I kind of focus on finance and uh, go into investment banking, private equity industry. He's working for his parents' family office where they have a big distribution footprint in uh, Central America. And so uh, I get exposed to the bioplastic industry through my job. He gets exposed through his uh, job as well and has a distribution opportunity to start bringing eco-friendly products to the U.S. And so he comes to me with that idea and you know we kind of put together a game plan around how to do that. Um, I was already super interested in the industry for some of the reasons I mentioned earlier and um, it just made perfect sense. And I was also a senior in college with um, entering in my last semester where I had like a fraction of free time for the first time in my life. And I was like, 
well, let's get rid of that free time and start a company. So, <laughs> um, so the stars just kind of aligned really well. And uh, we were able to collaborate with uh, some manufacturing partners down there, some contract manufacturers to, to get product into the market. And uh, we did that pretty quickly and um, launched right before COVID, which was maybe not the best timing. Um, not that we really could have seen it coming, but you know, you don't really want to do your first ever product launch as an entrepreneur the week before a global lockdown. So lesson learned there. Um, but uh, we were able to come out on the other side of it. And then uh, the business evolved significantly from there, but that was how we originally got into it. So with that original thrust, what was the feedback that you started to hear from uh, early conversations as well as clients and partners? Was there, was there a feedback that you started to learn where you started seeing where the evolution could happen or how did that come about? Yeah. So it was, um, you know, getting product in the hands of customer quickly was a huge benefit to us because once we did that, one of the really interesting things was our own customers coming to us and saying, can you do this? Can you do that? Um, you know, we'd like to see X, Y, and Z criteria um, and make all these other different types of products. And we were like, okay, like heard, we'd like to do that as well. Um, and then we also got a ton of inbound inquiries from other manufacturers. So not just in food service, people wanting to make everything under the sun from bio-based alternatives. And it validated the original thesis that we had, which is that everyone wants to find something more sustainable. There's just not a lot of viable alternatives out there. And so, you know, making a straw fork, knife and spoon is a little bit simpler than going and making, you know, think of basically any other product, right? Those are pretty straightforward to make. And what we realized was that, well, if you want to make a wide array of products, if you want to be the manufacturer of the product itself, that takes a ridiculous amount of investment, different types of equipment, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and as we were trying to find a resin technology that could be used to make all these types of products, we, we couldn't really find anything that worked. And so it seemed like the big, big hole in the supply chain was the resin itself, not really the product. And so that's why we set out and pivoted to the model that we have now, which is the manufacturer of that raw material itself. Yeah. So you, you started to, that's interesting. Yeah. It, it's not just the end product. It's, it's what's the point in the chain that it, where's there's the opportunity and you found that. Did yeah, you go ahead? Oh, uh, just, you know, there's a lot of cup manufacturers or sunglass manufacturers or people making every type of product from plastic already. Right. The issue is there's just not as many resin alternatives out there that hit that sweet spot of, you know, low cost, high performance, compatible with existing machinery. And so that was the problem that really needed solving within this industry. And, you know, we had the good fortune of being able to identify that problem by talking to customers firsthand. Yeah. In the process of this, were you, were you seeing that there was consumer demand or maybe uh, uh, your clients having demand for uh, compostable versus biodegradable? Was there uh, I feel like that language gets confused, at least among consumers. I don't know if that's the case uh, with all clients, but I'm just curious what the conversation was on that front. Yeah, it's in, you know, more so every, you know, year, it seems, which is great. Um, the distinction is, you know, compostable is where the certifications are and where there's actual stringent testing requirements around, whereas biodegradable 
uh, can be a bit more ambivalent, right? And so um, compostable means if it goes into a compost environment, not only is it degrading, but it's also not harming the compost um, and actually providing nutrients to benefit that compost. So that's, uh, you know, that's something that clients overwhelmingly started asking for. And then even more specifically started asking about home compostable. So, and that's the difference between industrial compostable and home compostable. Um, while industrial composting is great and should be, we should have a lot more of it. We just still don't have a lot of it similar to recycling. And so having something that can be disposed of in a natural environment doesn't need to go into an industrial facility, which is essentially home composting. That's something that the whole industry is shifting towards. And, and that's what we've seen as a big uh, differentiator between our product and others. Yeah. And your first, the first iteration before you pivoted, was it home compostable? And where are you at today on that uh, spectrum? Yeah. So the, the first iteration, we didn't have home compostability. Um, you know, we had test um, biodegradability and industrial composting tests, but, you know, wasn't quite to the home compost. And that's where we like immediately started trying to find out where we could get home compostable stuff that worked. And uh, it just wasn't really out there. Um, and if it was out there, it cost an exorbitant amount, um, which companies wouldn't pay for. So, you know, we recognize that if you can create a low cost or relatively low cost home compostable resin, that's where the market is dying for something like that. So that's where we focused all our energy. Yeah. I think this is important for people who are listening to this conversation as, as I think consumers, it, it takes a lot of education to know this. And sometimes we can see something we're like, oh, that checks the box, but it's, it's not, it's more nuanced than that. Like, I think most consumers, if they saw biodegradable, they're like, oh, good, this is, this meets my sort of green criteria that I have not really uh, educated myself on, but seems fine. There's a big difference between industrial and biodegradable versus like home compostable like it is a huge difference um i mean there was like that classic story i heard of a major brand who came out with a biodegradable bag and there's a little thing on the back that said if you just mail this in we'll be happy to you know get rid of it for you nobody mailed it in like nobody knew that like that's a there's a big gap there um mm -hmm. in understanding i think but hopefully people are starting to understand that because that way brands like yourself get the full credit for what you've been able to achieve uh through that technology it's so one of the biggest issues that we face is that lack of education. And, you know, when you look at the fact that we've been recycling, quote unquote, since like 1960, and people still don't know that you can't recycle the majority of plastics and all the issues that come with recycling plastics. So, um, yeah, I mean, the compostable space is pretty new and it's going to take quite a bit of education for people to get the differences um, we need better certification organizations and standards in the U.S. to help with that. Um, I do know that there's some work being done there at the federal level, but um, yeah, it, it's an issue. Um, it's something we're really cognizant of and um, trying to do what we can to help in that effort. We're putting together a really comprehensive um, sustainability program. So just trying to show the differences between everything and have really transparent testing over our product and, you know, the whole nine yards so that people can use us as a resource for what is versus isn't green, but it's a lot. It's not simple. Yeah. I'm guessing you get in conversations with potential partners and in some cases they probably don't understand the nuance 
And then there's probably others who are very well educated on this front, probably have goals um, and, and different metrics that they're trying to hit. And home compostable uh, is a big part of that. Who who are the early adopters on that front? Like, what are the attributes of a brand or a partner who like really gets it and you don't have to explain it. In fact, they could probably explain it to you potentially. Yeah. What we're seeing more and more of, especially even since we started a few years ago are dedicated sustainability departments. So it seems like almost every major brand, at least in food service and I guess even cosmetics and CPG, they've got a sustainability manager or a full sustainability department. And those folks are usually pretty knowledgeable about this stuff. Um, you know, you, you would hope. <laughs> and so um, they, I, I'm just seeing a lot more focus on that. If you look at the shareholder commitments from most of these major groups as well, they've all said, we're getting away from single use plastics, you know, 100%, 70% going to compostable, recyclable, et cetera, et cetera. So it's pretty top of mind. Um, especially too with the you know life cycle analysis that these companies are being held to uh you know stage stage three emissions etc cetera, etc cetera. so um you know typically if they have a sustainability department they're going to know what's going on if not then you can expect to have a little bit more education that you need to do but you know companies that i never would have thought would be interested in something sustainable are reaching out and they're like, I've never done anything for this before. And I just want to see if we can be any better. So it's really encouraging. I think everyone's going in this direction. And um, I think sooner than later, the education will kind of come to a place where everyone understands the terminologies. Yeah, that's cool. If you are in a conversation with a potential, um, uh, client partner and they've maybe they've reached out but they're still evaluating a lot of different options how do you how do you message the value prop of plant switch to them like kind of what is your what is your way of conveying what you do and how that's unique uh, in the market yeah it's 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 in a few different ways it's it's an emotional sell um at the end of the day because um you know every business is doing something for some type of ROI and sustainability is a brand enhancement ROI. And so it's something where they want to convey the message to their consumers that they have done something better for the world. And um, we try to really convey to them that we understand that that is uh, not the easiest thing to do and that we are their full blown partners in making that happen. So I mentioned our own struggles with trying to find a technology that could be used to make these different products for customers. And so we've seen firsthand that that's difficult to do. And the first thing that I try to convey to any customer is that, look, we get it. This is not an easy thing to do, but we are the experts here and we will hold your hand throughout the entire process. So whether that's development of a custom resin, whether that is education to your internal teams or your customers, um, you know, communication of sustainability metrics. It's just, however we can fill the gaps, we want to fill the gaps for you because we started this company to help solve this problem, knowing that it's difficult. So um, I think that resonates really well. We have a lot of technical advantages where we have value props too, but at the end of the day, if someone kind of has that like weight off their back of Oh uh, yeah, I'm a little like people are a little scared to get into something sustainable for a lot of good reasons and showing that you can be that trusted partner, I think goes a long way in helping close and make that sale and really more importantly, just develop a partner. Yeah. 
Um, you're not alone in the in the kind of that value prop that you have, which is for so long, there's so many things we just kind of took for granted and we just all bought on price. Um, you know, suppliers, consumers, everybody is just like, let's just buy on price. And the problem is that sometimes cheap is expensive and there's these huge externalities we have to pay for in the process. And so now we're in this long kind of process of trying to relook at the total cost of something and all the externalities, which is why we have these level ones, twos, and threes. And so kind of your point is, is similar to what I think a lot of people in this space are doing, which is let's sell on sort of the brand and the value, like the value, like let's increase the value. And if, if consumers recognize that, then you get preference, right? And you don't have to sell on price. You can sell on value alignment, uh, which can actually raise your top line, even if your bottom line, I mean, if your expenses can, can grow in the midterm. So it's, it's tough though. I mean, people really need to see that vision before they're going to bite on that. Um, but hopefully there's enough sort of regulation and commitments and consumer demand that pushes everything into that more positive direction that we're trying to go. Would you, would you agree with that? Are you seeing those tides kind of shifting that way? Well, the helpful thing for us is we start with establishing value, but then we also use agricultural waste streams as our feedstock. So mm. we are, have, we do have a lower cost than all of our competitors. And so that's where we set the stage of like, look, you know, we're here to help and we're going to provide value in that way. But we also understand that you don't want to go pay five times the cost that yeah. you're used to paying. And so we're here to ease it, that burden too. And um, that's a pretty compelling one-two punch, I think. Um, I will say that I've been surprised at how much of a premium customers are willing to pay for something compostable over single use plastic. Um, you know, even not even talking about us, but if you look at some of the other resins in the market, they are paying five times, four times the cost of traditional plastic and doing it pretty happily. So um, that's great to see. That just shows you how strong the consumer demand is and, you know, the value proposition of sustainability in the mind of the consumer. Yeah, it's great for you who's got the price advantage then over them because you're showing that they're willing to go there. And now, hey, now we can compete. Uh, we can actually make price part of it now that you're willing to go up that. It's kind of their anchoring at the top end of that. That's interesting. Um, one of the things that struck me whenever I was first exposed to Plant Switch was not only the story uh, and what you're creating, but just the way you've told your story. You guys obviously have invested in brand at a very early stage. Like, what's the value of that? What has that done for you? I mean, would you do you feel like you would be as effective had you just kind of forgone that, or do you are you seeing like tangible advantages of having developed a clear message and kind of visual identity early on? I think there are massive advantages to establishing a brand early on. Um, it's one of the highest ROI things that you can do in a business. It, at the end of the day, it's it's your first impression, and first impressions are everything. So you can have the most technically sound product ever, but if when you're trying to sell it, you know, it looks like crap, then you're not going to do a great job of selling it for the most part. Um, so I think it's really important. I think it's really important in our space too, given that, you know, sustainability and branding do kind of go hand in hand. Um, you know, why would a company want to buy from us to make their brand look better if our brand doesn't look good in the first place? It seems kind of obvious. Um, and a lot of times too, we're selling as much to the marketing and sustainability departments of these brands and companies as we are the technical department. 
So um, I am a really big believer in brand. I think there's a lot of opportunity in industries where you maybe wouldn't think brand is as important to, you know, just have a pretty similar company with a better brand and outperform. So uh, I, I've, I've been a huge believer in it. It's been huge for our business and it, uh, I think it just gives you a, a leg up and a, you know, kind of head start when you have that as your outward presence. I've talked with other people in, in, in the space and they say, well, our competitors don't do it. I don't, everybody tells me I need to, but I, if they're not doing it, I don't think I need to. And I'm like, we'll be the first and then let them follow you. That's the whole reason to do it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if a lot of it is a pattern break, you know, it, it, they, they see the same old stuff. And if you can stand out, you've got attention, but I think establishing credibility is so key in the early days because there's a lot of things that are going to be called into question. So let's start off on a place of strength versus a place of sort of looking past it is, is another way to look at it. I think. Yeah. A lot of the, and you know, a lot of the brands I'd say in more traditional industrial industries like ours, like you said, they're just kind of, eh, you know, no one else is really doing it. I'm just going to find my customers and they need the, these technical requirements and that'll be good. Uh, it's just, it's just missing a lot of opportunity in my, my mind. Yep. So how do you talk about the uh, plant switch in like layman's terms? If you're, you know, out for drinks with friends or something like that, somebody who's outside the industry and they're like, what do you do? Like, how do you break it down very simply for people in those scenarios? Yeah, I pretty much just say, you know, we take plants and we turn them into a compostable plastic. So, um, and then when they ask how we do that, we use agricultural waste streams. So, leftovers of major agricultural processes that right now aren't being used. Uh, we give them a second life, turn those into a product that actually looks, feels, works just like plastic does, but it's eco-friendly, biodegrades, compost, zero waste, and sustainable. That's cool. What's usually the reaction when they hear that? Whoa, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's nice to hear. And then 90% of people say, oh, so it's better than paper straws. So interesting. Yeah, that's uh, good. They're starting to click. People really don't like paper straws. <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh, this is the new, this is the best we can do right now. Yeah. Is that temporary thing? It got a lot of PR. And uh, so we had to find a, a quick replacement. Now we can get a better replacement, huh? They're not even all that sustainable, but that's a, it's a different conversation. Yeah. So with the time you've put into plant switch right now, are there certain moments looking back where you're like, man, that was a tough obstacle. I'm so glad we've cleared that hurdle. I know there's probably others in front of you that you're trying to clear, but is there one in the, in particular, like, man, that was a tough one. I'm so, so proud of the team for getting past this one. Yeah, for sure. I mean, by far the toughest one was uh, getting our most recent bridge round done. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll be announcing that probably in the next couple of weeks, but, you know, we're about done with it. Um, and that was really tough. I mean, it's no secret how bad the early stage market has been over the last year or so. Um, and we happened to be raising to do a, you know, capital intensive manufacturing facility and, you know, the U S which didn't get a lot of investor appetite early on. So um, that took, you know, a lot longer than we would have liked to, to get that done. And, you know, it got a little, little scary there. You know, we had kind of already taken a lease on a building, gotten equipment in, and, you know, we had been doing everything right from an operational and commercial side. I mean, we, we 
couldn't have been doing a whole lot better, but then we still weren't getting funding in. And so that was, uh, and as the CEO, as the person that's responsible for fundraising, that was definitely a difficult time uh, for me of, you know, I can't let these people down. You know, we've got a lot of people, you know, relying on me to get this money in the door so we can go execute on our mission of, you know, being the best out there at turning plants into plastic. But um, thankfully, we, you know, had good support from our existing investors. We have a couple new partners that we're really excited about um, and then had some other, you know, good support from other folks as well. So um, everything happens for a reason. And um, I'm glad that we got over that. But that was definitely a pretty difficult time. I think it's a testament to what you guys are doing. This is a difficult time to raise funds. So if you still have people writing checks and, and voting for you guys, it's, it's, it's clear that there's a market for this and you guys are doing something right. So I would take that as a huge compliment to get a vote of confidence right now. Two years ago, they'd throw money at you without even seeing the pitch deck, but now, now they're really looking at it. So, and speaking of the future, like, what do you see on the horizon? Like, what are you looking forward to? Not in like, not just for plant switch, but like for your sector as a whole, like, what are you, what are you envisioning uh, on the horizon? Yeah, I think that um, the role that we're playing in the supply chain is as a massive accelerant. Um, and without getting too into the nuances of what we do, I think we kind of lift all the suppliers and the brands on both sides of what we do, both upstream and downstream. And I think this technology and business model are going to rapidly accelerate both the adoption and the production of these types of materials. Um, so I'm really excited to watch that come to fruition over the next couple of years. Um, and, you know, the whole, my whole mission is to make it obvious to go to a sustainable plastic alternative. I don't, I want to get rid of the notion that it's an inferior product or a much more expensive product, yada, yada, yada. Let's create a technology and a supply chain altogether where we are delivering a truly viable, scalable alternative to plastic. And so, you know, that's how I think about it more broadly outside of just what we do here. And I really do believe that we're going to get to that place in the next five to 10 years. Do you think that everyday consumers will take notice of this or will it be so similar, their experience um, and the quality that it's like, don't even take notice? What do you, what do you think? So one of the cool things about our product is that aesthetically it does actually look different to plastic and you can see, like I can show you here, you can see like a natural color of the product and you can see fibers in it, you know, when you're looking up close. And so it's something where a consumer can recognize this really easily and say, Hey, this is plant-based. Um, but they use it and they're like, this feels just like plastic. Right. And so, you kind of have both where it's like they're not going to notice a difference in quality and feel, but aesthetically they will notice a difference. And I think that's kind of goes back to the brand piece where that's really important. Um, one of the issues with recycling has been it's kind of hard to identify what material is what and what needs to be recycled where um, this helps with that. This you look at this, this is a compostable product. Anything that looks like this, it's going to be compostable and setting up that brand awareness from a technology uh, standpoint is going to be really, really big long-term for us. That's cool. So the utility basically remains the same, but the aesthetics are there as sort of a way of identifying like, Hey, I'm, I'm not using petroleum-based plastics here. I'm using something that's plant-based. 
Exactly. And we don't have to do anything extra to create those aesthetics. That is the natural look of the product, which is cool. That's cool. Have you been able to hear like consumers, like firsthand impressions of that? Are there reactions that you've been able to hear uh, from that? Yeah. Yeah. It's everyone really likes it. So that's good so far. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I, I'm, are there, are they like confused by it or are they like, Oh, interesting. Or I mean, what, what's, the, what are some of the, I don't know, more interesting things that you've heard? Yeah. I'd say more like interesting than confused, you know, I'll be like, you know, if you do like a blind test, it's like, what do you think this is? And they're like, I don't know. It looks kind of plant-based. We're like, perfect. Really? You know? <laughs> yeah, like good guess. I'm like, great. Good guess. Um, so that's good. Um, and then most of the brands that we work with, especially in food service have been pretty excited about that too. Um, just goes into that disposal problem as well, where it's like, you know, some of the other existing, you know, plastic alternatives, kind of hard to distinguish between that and plastic. And it's not really scalable if you have to like flip over every piece and read that it says compostable in order to know it's compostable. So this just makes that piece a lot easier. Hey everyone, we've learned a lot from this podcast series and we've put the good stuff in a handful of PDF frameworks. It's topics like messaging, channel strategy, and market fit. You can grab them at nativedigital.com slash resources. Hey